Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicNPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Stacy Hunky, who is author of Influence Redefined, Be the Leader You Were Meant to Be. Today we will discuss Influence Redefined. Stacy founded Stacy Hunky Inc. in 2004 to provide keynotes, training, and coaching for organizations in manufacturing, healthcare, retail, advertising, financial, and insurance services. She wrote, Yes, you can. Everything you need from A to Z to influence others to take action before writing Influence Redefined. Stacy holds a certification as a speaking professional for the National Speakers Association and is a member of the C-Suite Network, of Network Advisors and a member of the Forms Coaches Council. Stacy, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. This is a topic that seems almost required for anyone who is in marketing or communications or really a senior executive of any kind, because whether you're influencing internally or externally, how can you do business if you are not influential? That's exactly right. And I think you hit it on the head when you said a leader, an executive in any position, because everyone communicates. If your listeners really think about from the time they stepped out of bed to where they're seated right now, how often they've communicated already today. There's a little bit of a misperception. We believe that influence only happens when we speak. Influence happens from the time you walk into that room, walk into your office, your client site. Influence happens when you are just present in how you listen, how you respond. It's one of those skills that I have found over the last 15 years of being in the business that people don't think about it, or we make the assumption that, We've been communicating for a long time, therefore I must be good at it. And the book really pulls out some real hard truths to what we should be paying attention to to make sure that influence is occurring. One of the things that I've noticed over the years is that many of these abilities or skills Nobody trains you for these. You don't learn them in college. They don't send you to influence school or leadership school. And yet, it's expected that you know how to do it. That's right. That's exactly right. That's why I like to believe I've got job security, my, my team and I, because there is that assumption that you've got a mouth, you've got two ears, you should be able to communicate. I find out frequently from, especially the executives that I do one-on-one mentoring with, when I begin coaching them, one of the first things they'll say is, no one ever tells me the truth on how I come across. I haven't learned these skills. It's more I find out behind closed doors, sitting there mentoring an executive, that they usually get hired and moved through the ranks, climb that corporate ladder because of their knowledge level. I think we're living in a, a whole new world of work called noise, and with all the different messages that we're receiving day in and day out, 24-7, there's a, now another a higher expectation to how you communicate, how you make people feel, and most importantly, what you leave behind. 
And again, that's where the book really was created because I know a lot of people struggle with this skill. They don't believe that they do until they start working with either my team or I or they start pulling apart the pieces in the book to realize this may be an area of my development, both personally and professionally, that I really do need to take some serious look at and a serious thought around. The challenge is that you are communicating in so many ways, and as our environment has changed in so many different venues, how do you segment this concept so that it's easy to understand that even when you're not trying, even when you don't even want to, you're still communicating and you still are being influential or not? Sometimes it's just, it's awareness. It's self-awareness. It's having that conversation with individuals to give them a chance to step back from their day-to-day, sprint through life, shoot off email, go to meeting after meeting, call after call, even just bringing it to their attention. A lot of times when I present my keynotes and I bring up this whole concept of what influence is and what it's not, the eyes in the audience light up. The feedback after my keynotes is, we have not given this thought. The second part to that self-awareness is videotaping. When my team and I start recording individuals, whether it's audio recording or it's video recording, that's the big aha. That's the realization of, all right, maybe I have given this a lot of thought, but I haven't looked at it this way, or vice versa. This is an area I probably should focus on. Let's face it. It really is a lot about reputation management, that everything you say, everywhere you go, every message you send out there, whether it's email, text, social media, your name is attached to it. And how people experience you through both your verbal and nonverbal really determines the reputation that people have of you. The good news, all of us have the choice on what that reputation says about us. When we're talking about influence for purposes of this conversation, what's the short definition? What do do we mean when we say influence? You got it. Here's how we define it. Influence means that your body language and your messaging is congruent Monday to Monday. The second definition that ties directly to that is that you have the ability to move people to take action long after the interaction occurs. Most individuals believe that influence, I'll turn it on when I need it. Uh, Your listeners may be able to recognize this if they've ever seen someone in a meeting that they're facilitating, a high-stakes presentation or a sales pitch. You can tell when someone turns it on and when they turn it off. To me, influence is Monday to Monday. It's that individuals are never guessing who is showing up. By that definition, you can tell it, it takes focus, it takes discipline, but it's also not impossible if you are focused and disciplined every day, every time you communicate. When you say Monday to Monday, Stacy, what you're saying is round the clock? I am. I am. Here's why. I, and I'll give you an example. This one always resonates with listeners. If I were to be long-winded, I would use ums and ahs, extra so's all weekend long with my family and friends. Then suddenly on Monday morning, I have an interview and I stop umming and eyeing. 
There's nothing authentic about that. You, you can't be one person at one point and another person at another point. That's what I mean by there's a misperception of people believe you turn this on and you turn it off. It's very similar to any athlete. However, an athlete is going to practice Monday to Friday is how they're going to perform in that game on Saturday. It comes right back to when we are not focusing on our communication. If our body language and our messaging is not consistent Monday to Monday, your listeners, they start guessing who's going to show up. And if they have to guess who's going to show up, that means you start jeopardizing the trust that they have with you. Once people stop trusting you, it will be really challenging to get them to act on your recommendation. We've often heard the idea that we all wear different hats, whether it's at a personal versus a work environment or whether it's as a boss versus a direct report. How do you reconcile the two, the idea that you have to interact in different ways with different people mm-hmm. and the idea that you, you should still be authentic, which I think is what I'm hearing you say? You got it. Authenticity comes through by constant repetition and practice. For example, I'm going to tackle that question first. For example, anyone who's listening and is thinking, wow, I wonder if I use ums and ahs. I I want to delete that from my language. You're not going to accomplish that overnight. You have to practice it. And the more you practice it like an athlete, the more authentic you become. Now, the good news is, how many times do you communicate in a day? You've got every opportunity to practice it. Adaptability is part of the influence model in the book. This is to tackle your first question. You definitely need to adapt your style and your message, no matter who you're speaking to. And how you do that, if you've got a CEO who's very much of a driver, wants to get to the point, that individual, you probably don't want to spend a lot of time beating around the bush, (laughs) taking too long to get to the point. You want to go directly to why are you there, what specifically are you asking them to do. If you've got an individual that tends to be very social, you're going to go down that route. If you have an individual who you can tell they don't want you in their space or they don't use a lot of gestures, they're more quiet in their facial expressions, you want to more accommodate that piece. If you're another piece of adaptability is when someone looks confused, you went too fast, you're not taking their needs into consideration, those are all elements that when you're pausing and you've got that moment of silence, not only are you thinking on your feet for brevity, you're having the opportunity to really adapt to not only what is this person saying to you, what is their body language saying to you? And there's elements and how-tos in my book that walk the reader through that. We have an idea of what influence is and how to work within your different personas to still be authentic. Still, one of the things that you talk about in the book is that many of us may not be as influential as we think we are, maybe in part because people are actually not hearing what we're saying or because they are not listening. It's a combination of that. I think it comes down to 
there's two concepts. Feedback is flawed. And when we are constantly told that we're good, nice job, great, it's false feedback. Therefore, if we're constantly told we're good, we start believing that. That's one reason why a lot of people think they're more influential than they really are. The second reason is we're not seeing ourselves. We're not experiencing ourselves through the eyes and ears of our listeners. The best way I know how to get a leader to do that, I go back to my comment earlier, is audio and video recording. Speaking from experience with the work we do with leaders, once we get those two in line, we show them how to prepare for the feedback, how to ask it, how to position it. We give them ways that they can be constantly video and audio recording themselves. Suddenly, I guarantee their self-awareness will increase, and maybe they'll have more influential than they thought they did, or vice versa, they've got some work to do. How do you get them to do that? I know it sounds simple, but in my experience, many, if not most people, don't like that experience. They they don't, and then I don't think they're ready to grow. I mean, it just really comes down to that. I talk a lot about you've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable because that's the moment in your development you're going to develop. And keep in mind that any leaders who are coming to us, they're ready for it. They're reaching out because they know that they're always in school. They know how critical it is to their teams, their clients, their entire profits to their company of how they show up every day. The persuasion point is always get them on tape once, just once. And that alone, when they hear it or see it, they realize, whoa, there is really a big disconnect on how I think I come across rather than what is true. That was my big aha back in my 20s. I had an amazing coach in my life, and I I thought I was good because everyone said how good I was. When he had gotten me on video, that was enough for me to say, whoa, I don't want anyone to ever see that. And I also, it really clicked for me to realize just because you feel a certain way doesn't guarantee someone perceives you that way. And when that, that concept happens, there's rarely is there not buy-in for someone to say, all right, even though I don't like the process, I am not a fan of watching or listening to myself on a playback, I see the value and I see how impactful it is on anyone that I interact with. What should you look for if you're trying to decide whether you are influential and to what degree? If you do this exercise, if you read the book, What are the signs that you are as influential that you think you are or the opposite that you're not? I think it's really in your listeners. You know you're influential when they are there with you. They are not buried in their technical gadgets. They're not zoning, having side conversations. But you can tell. You can tell. I mean, they are connected. They're engaged with you. They are hanging on your every word. Most importantly, You've got proof. You can go back and you know that they acted on what you recommended them. Vice versa. Your influence could use some work if heads are down and technical gadgets. The email is more important than listening to you. There's distractions. There's interruptions. People interrupt you a lot. People don't respond to your emails, your voicemails, what you're asking them, what you're asking them to do. Those would all be signs that you may need some work 
on whether it could be your body language, it could be your messaging, it could be a combination of the two of them. It could also be that when you are in an interaction with someone, their experience with you is you're not adapting the message to them. That the message truly is about what your goals are, what you want to accomplish, rather than what's important to them. And those are easy signs because if you're truly paying attention to your listeners and and you're focusing on them, you'll notice what's working with your delivery and your messaging and what's not. How do you bridge the divide? Oftentimes for managers, they're caught in a place where they have to implement or enforce directives that they may not be fond of and certainly that their audience, perhaps their direct reports, are not going to embrace easily, and yet they still have to do this. How do you bridge that divide as an influencer? With someone clarification, with a a difficult conversation? Right. It's very key to put preparation before you have that conversation. And the first thing I would consider is four things. What does this individual know about the conversation, the topic at hand? What do they need to know to take the action I want them to take in the time frame I'll have with them? What's their opinion on the topic? Because that's going to allow me to determine how do I approach it? Do I have to work, you know, socialize first, work my way into the conversation, or do I hit it? the ask right up front. And finally, the fourth step is who are they? And that can be everything from why is this conversation happening now? Why would they be interested in this topic or not interested? What's their position, their title? I want to do that pre-work up in advance when I can. I'll also think about those four steps while I'm in the conversation. Throughout the conversation, because when it's a heated conversation, two things will happen. People will either combat you, or they'll remain completely silent. I'm going to ask a lot of open-ended questions. I want to make sure that clarification is on both ends, that what I'm saying to them is clear and vice versa. I want to also make sure that there's a strong closing to the conversation to make sure we're both understanding what we have agreed to, if that's the type of conversation that's happening If there were action steps that we have both agreed to, I want to make sure that that is clear. The big one, though, is the preparation for that type of conversation and interacting, making sure it's a two-way conversation rather than you telling them your concerns or what needs to be done. When you are addressing a diverse audience, increasingly as our country has grown from a demographic perspective. It has also grown from a diversity perspective, and that can mean challenges from a communication perspective and certainly as a leader. What ways would you recommend to take the diversity into account as an influencer? I think that goes back to adaptability. Just know your listeners. I know when I'm talking to an all-women's group, their needs are a little different as far as why they're there for my topic versus if it was all men or even a mixed group. 
I know from a cultural standpoint, if I am talking to an audience where English is not their first language, I need to be very sensitive to acronyms, to jargon, to the space, pace, excuse me, of my speech. Also, certain cultures. There's some discrepancies in my topic with some of the older generations of some of the Asian cultures and Middle Eastern cultures. And not only thinking through these differences before Ilana the conversation, but even during it. In my book, I talk a lot about, and this is for anyone that you're speaking to, focus outward rather than inward. A lot of individuals get so caught up in their own dialogue, it almost sounds as if they're having a conversation with themselves, rather than really think through, what am I saying and how does it impact this person based on not only the diversity that there's between me and them, but also diversity when it comes to their knowledge level on the topic, mine versus them. Do I have to go higher level versus keep it more at the basic level? And identifying what that really is. Why influence redefined as opposed to just influence? In what way has influence become redefined? I think the old definition is skewed. I think a lot of people don't really understand what influence is and what it's not. We're, we're living off of the old definition of influences to motivate people. Now, that is true, but based on the definition I described it during this call earlier, it takes influence to a whole new level. I also called the book Influence Redefined because, as you had stated, how many people have really been given the how-tos, the practical, the immediate how-tos to make sure that we're constantly growing our influence every day of the week, that we don't just influence in our personal life or just in our professional life. That's really where the title the title evolved from. One of the tendencies that I've noticed on the part of many people is this idea that they can wing it when they're giving a presentation, when they're addressing a group, that because they are the boss or because they are their group expert on topic X, Y, or Z, and they have the knowledge that they can just skip the preparation, not rehearse, not prepare, as you suggested a moment ago, but that they know everything there is to know about the topic, and therefore they can just wing it. What do you think about that? Wasn't it the UCLA basketball coach, John Wooden, I'm going, to, I'm going to try to get his quote at least close to what he had said. He had said something to the fact, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. I think his quote pretty much sums up that question is the fact that your listeners are taking the time, and today no one has time, taking the time out of their busy lives to listen to you, whether it's through the phone or whether it's in a meeting, just out of respect to them and their time, they deserve some preparation on your part. And I think a lot of the preparation, Alana, should be happening in your day-to-day. That your day-to-day, you're constantly thinking about, how can I practice brevity? How can I practice confidence, credibility, trust? Those are things that are constant. 
because I'm going to flip the coin on this question here. And then a lot of our conversations are impromptu. I get it. Sometimes you can't prepare. In those situations, you should be so focused in the moment that you're not thinking about the emails that are coming at your desk. You're not thinking about the traffic that you have to battle later, later that day. But you are focused in what's important to this person now. How can I help them to get them to the recommendation I'm asking them to take? In these days, when our attention is so divided in these days where it's become the norm for people to be watching one or multiple screens at the same time that they're having conversations and interacting with peers, how do you do that? The multitasking? Yes. That, to me, is commitment. Again, it's commitment that out of respect to who you're trying to interact with, if you're trying to multitask, there's way too many studies that still talk about you you won't hear the entire message, that it takes, honey, I can't even quote this. I was reading on an educational journal a couple of days ago. They were talking about multitasking, how it will take up to five-minute increments to refocus on the subject, the task at hand, when you switch from one task to the next. This study also talked about how you lose 50%, 5-0% productivity when you multitask. And if multitasking or when you're on the phone and every time you see an email come in, you want to address it right away, if that's a challenge like it is for most, me included, shut off the email there's a lot of studies that also talk about how if you pound, I mean, you just totally focus on one one project for 30 minutes and then take a break for 10 or take a break for 15, it, it's segmenting your day to focus on one thing at a time. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to miss something. If you're on a phone conversation and answering someone else's email, one of those messages are not going to be at your best. You're either going to not do well during that phone conversation or you'll make an error in that email message. What about influence in a more subtle way? And by that, what I mean is there are times when you're not in front of your audience in person. Perhaps you're communicating with them on the phone or online via social media, perhaps you're recording a presentation. What are the issues that you need to be aware of in terms of that lingering influence or not in-person influence? I don't know if there's a particular term that we need to use here. I think what happens is when we are not in person, some of us, this is stereotyping, big picture here, we get lazy. We like to hide behind our email. We like to hide behind social media. Here's an example. How many times have you received a message from someone from their phone? They have a message in the bottom of the, mes- of the email or the text message saying, forgive my typos. I'm thinking, really? Why should we forgive your typos? What, what gives you the right to just say, well, forgive me because now I'm on my phone? 
or I, I have so many phone calls in a day. And sometimes the individual on the other side of the call, I'm thinking, I know they're multitasking. I can tell. They're real monotone. They take a long time to get to the point. And it just it makes it so much more difficult to listen to them because the visual piece blocks is gone. Now, here's just a thought. I'm going to go in a different direction. When my team and I teach how to manage virtual calls, webinars, Skype calls, whatever it may be, we highly recommend it. I know you and I are not doing it today. All of my sales calls, as many as that I can get, we do it live in person, meaning via Skype, we turn on our webcams, or we do it via Zoom. And that has completely changed the way we do business, as well as the growth of our business. And a lot of it's just making sure that you're always at your best. For me, if I'm on camera, it forces me to be on my best because someone can see me. I'm also, I like to believe, I'm very ultra-aware because of the work that I do. How I come across the phone is how my friends experience me over lunch. It's how my clients get a chance to experience me when I'm there in person. Again, I go back a lot to the consistency of it. Here's another thought. If later in the afternoon, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, that really starts to be your time where you struggle in the day, you're getting tired, get up on your feet and take a phone call. Move around. Get that energy back. And keeping in mind that everything that you do, every interaction you have, still has your name attached to it. When you're communicating online, many of the nuances disappear. There's a lot of room between the lines of an email for misinterpretation. Never mind when you're posting a photo or a video clip on social media. How can you manage that so that you can still have a presence, but you're addressing the importance of this influence and consistency that you're talking about? Yeah, I think I think you already answered it. It's knowing that before you post the photo, give it some thought. My my coach, my business coach always says to me, anything via social media, put it up on Times Square billboards, and if you're okay with it, then post it. If not, give it some thought. <laughs> and there's been so many stories in the media over the years of individuals who will post something on Twitter or Facebook, something via social media, and then lose their jobs over it because they're not thinking through it. I guess that supports my comment, we hide behind social media. We, we hide behind the technical gadget. And for whatever reason, we suddenly forget that everything you put out there represents your personal brand. It represents who you are, what you, re- what you represent, what you believe in, your values. And it also will determine, gosh, I see Stacy on Twitter and she's long-winded. She uses every character and it doesn't really make sense. Or I see her on Facebook and she doesn't look very professional on Facebook. People will really start questioning the trust they have with me. Once the trust gets questioned, I really believe influence starts to take a side seat. Does the channel matter, Stacy, in this image that you're developing as part of being an influencer? How, how important is it? for you to be present everywhere. A lot of people think that they need to be on all the channels. Yeah. I think it really depends what your goal is. 
we we personally, the company is on a lot, but that's our goal. And then I work with other entrepreneurs, and they choose not to be on Facebook. That, to me, comes down to what is your goal? Because if you're just going to be out there to be out there, and you're not you're not consistent with it, you'll show up on LinkedIn here or there. Once in a while, you'll show up on a tweet. That's another part of personal branding is once you start social media, you really need to be active on it to be taken seriously. Take a step back. Really ask yourself, what's the purpose of being on Facebook? And if that meets your personal and your professional goals, if you're able to stick with that personal brand, yes, go for it. If not, don't do it until you're ready to commit. Lately, there's a lot of discussion about how new influencers are changing the method of communication, how there are many people who are losing the ability to communicate with other people in person or even by phone, Mm -hmm. that they are retreating, or as you said earlier, hiding behind the technology. How much of that are you seeing? Oh, I'm seeing way too much of it. <laughs> I think because of it, face-to-face is becoming a lost art. I, and it, I, I see it across generations. I can't finger point that it's one generation or it's male versus female. I, for our, The advice for our readers or for our listeners is really before you hit send, ask yourself what is the best way based on the topic and who I'm trying to get to act on my recommendation, what is the best medium to do that? Is it an email? Is it a text? Then do it. If ever, ever you question how your receiver is going to receive that text message or that email message, consider going back to the old-fashioned way of having a phone conversation or if you have the capability in your office to get up and have that conversation. When in doubt... Don't send the email. You can always, always send an email to follow up after the person hears the tone of your voice in a voicemail or they get a chance to talk to you face-to-face. How do you interact with someone who is in a different forum if they are not agreeable to a meeting or even to a phone conversation, if you can't see them in person at an event, what do you do? I'm going to do everything. And i got to look at the message, right? I've got to look at what am I asking them to do. And I, I see some really bad emails out there. So if you're not a good email writer, have someone help you. Because you never want to run the risk that once it's in writing and it's misinterpreted, now you're starting to jeopardize that relationship you're trying to build with that individual. Influence is all about building relationships and cultivating those. I would always have someone review my emails. If it's a situation where you think, oh, no matter how I write this email, there is going to be a risk of misinterpretation, I would at least leave a voicemail message. And no matter what medium I'm using, I will always include in that email or that voicemail the benefit to them. The benefit, it could be a number of things. The benefit for us to have a conversation, 
the benefit for them to act on the recommendation, what I'm asking them to do in the email. We have to make whatever message we're leading, leaving for our listeners, we need to make it about them rather than what we want. Let's go back to the book for a minute. In the third section of your book, you talk about the elements of influence. It may sound at first like that's very academic, but it's important to have an understanding of what the elements are in order to know whether you address them all, right? Correct. Do you want me to go through them? Yes. So what are the elements of influence and what role do they play in your effectiveness as a communicator and leader? For your listeners, if they could envision a triangle, there's first three drivers that are constant that go around all the elements. If you can imagine a triangle on the left-hand side of that triangle is feedback. The right-hand side is practice. And the base of the triangle is accountability. And we've touched on most of those. And that has to be constant all the time. Without those three drivers, influence, I don't know how influence would occur. Now, inside the element, the one we talked about is the very first element, and that's self-awareness. Right above self-awareness, we've talked about consistency. That's number two. After consistency is reputation. Then comes adaptability. We've talked about all of those, at least touched on those. The next one is impact, and impact is about what kind of impact can you have on your listener, not only during the interaction, but long after the interaction occurs. And finally, the very tip of that triangle is influence. They go in that order, but they are also constant, because maybe someday you have impact, but you don't have adaptability. That's why I think also influence Monday to Monday can be challenging, because it's never-ending. Uh, my the listeners today, they can watch my videos and read my book. I don't think that's going to make them more influential. Here's what will make them more influential. They're constantly practicing. They're applying those three drivers and these elements. But they're thinking about it all the time. Because you'll accomplish, maybe self-awareness is you get to the point where you're really self-aware, then you continue to do the same thing over and over, and suddenly you're no longer self-aware. It's kind of like that professional golfer. They have been professionally coached. They go a couple of months without their coaches, and suddenly the coach starts giving them feedback again, and it's as if that, wow, I, I did not know. I didn't know that. Now that was my new handicap. They say that people don't change, that it requires a trauma or a significant threat in our lives in order for us, any of us, to embrace change willingly. Do you mm. think that's true? I do. I do. And it's sad because change is constant, and change is constant, especially when we're talking about our personal and our professional development. The, our lives are way too competitive no matter what industry that you're in. There's no time to focus on whether or not you're going to change. It's about just roll up your sleeves Focus forward. If there's fear with that change, let that fear propel you forward because it's always better on the other side. Once you get through those hurdles, I like to I imagine them as being hurdles. 
where you're, you're hitting your knee when you're trying to go over that hurdle of change or your foot gets caught on that hurdle as you're flying over that hurdle. But once you get over, I, I can't imagine. There's not a lot of people that have said, oh, I wish I would have never changed. I wish I would have just stayed the same the way I have always been. What's the biggest challenge that leaders have when they communicate? I hear a lot of leaders telling me it gets lonely at the top. The part that they struggle with is getting truly constructive, meaningful feedback. They find that a lot of people tell them what they already know or what they want them to know. I think leaders also still tell me that it's lack of self-awareness, that sometimes they just forget and that they're not focusing on the communication. I want to give you one more. The third one that ties to those two is most leaders tend to say too much. They tend to get caught up in what the message has to be, and they just got to get the message out because they have to get to the next situation or the next message really taking the time to think through the conversation to make sure that what they're saying is how they want it to come across. Now, that reminds me of something that you talk about in the book, and that is sabotaging yourself. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I think when we're not applying those three drivers of feedback practice and accountability, and constantly those three also help us increase our self-awareness, there's a good chance that we base our level of influence, how people experience us, off of how we feel rather than off of fact. And when we continue to believe that, well, if I feel good or I know my topic, I talk about this all the time, I'm comfortable with who I'm communicating with, that doesn't mean just because you're comfortable or that the conversation, the topic is easy, that doesn't mean you have influence. That's where I'd highly recommend that our listeners really are ultra-sensitive to make sure they don't fall into the trap of my feeling determines the level of my influence. Tell us a little bit more about that, if you would, Stacy, because I think this is something that is essential. Mm-hmm. And well, we won't, you can avoid falling into that trap if we go back to our conversation earlier of make sure you're audio recording yourself. And we've got the capability. Most of us have smartphones. All you have to do is press record. You could be on a phone call. Don't record your client. Record your side of the conversation. And then immediately after, listen to it. As you're listening to the playback, think about how you felt during that conversation rather than how it came across. Think about how do you want to come across as a leader? Credible, trustworthy, confident. What did you hear yourself say and do that made you come across that way? And finally, number three, what can you change to make yourself more impactful? And that way, you're truly going off of fact. The audio and the video playback is fact. It's the closest way to get to your listener's experience with you rather than just assuming the internal subconscious telling you, all right, that was really good. Because I'm so intrigued with that. I'm so intrigued with this concept of how our body language can be telling us one thing, yet our listeners are experiencing something completely different. I think that's also true for our messaging. There is also a place 
where we can't be objective, where even if we're recording the audio and the video and watching it afterward, we are too close to truly understand all the nuances or it might, we might not even be able to understand what we're conveying or the degree to which we're conveying it. How do you deal with that? That's where the accountability, the third driver on that influence model is key. It's getting an accountability partner. I would highly recommend to have one in your personal life as well as in your professional life. And for example, I have a number of accountability partners in my life. One is my sister, and I have her as a silent observer sometimes during my client conference calls. Before I get on the call with her, I say to her, here's what I'm working on. Would you listen for that? Number two, here's how I want to come across. Would you listen for that? Five minutes after the call, we spend five minutes on the phone. I think everyone has that time in their development in a day. She gives me feedback. I take her feedback. If you saw my computer monitor right now, it's filled with post-it notes of all the feedback that my coaches give me, that my accountability partners give me. You can easily have someone in your personal life, your professional life. You just want to make sure that you tell them specifically what do you want feedback on and how often do you want that feedback. Because you're right, we're our best and our worst critics. You have feedback coming from both sides. You've got your own feedback when you watch the playback, and that way you also have someone that isn't so close to the, yourself like you are, and you also have that accountability partner. For our listeners who want to really take this to the next step, what other resources would you recommend to our listeners who want to get better at this? The first one that comes to mind is a big one. It's a big call to action, and that's Toastmasters. Every city, and depending on the size of the city, they'll have several Toastmaster organizations. I know even some of our clients have Toastmaster associations inside their corporation. And Toastmasters, they either meet once a month or once a week, and it's practice. It's time to practice communicating while you get lots of feedback from whoever's in Toastmasters. I think that's key. There are tons of resources that we send daily through all the social media networks. We never sell on it. We're, we're truly just serving as a resource, so any of your listeners can hop onto that. Another good place to me is TED.com. Knowing that they're not all professional speakers on TED.com, there are some, though, that are. And even if their delivery skill is not polished, even watch their messaging. I think you can learn a lot from that piece as well. What suggestions would you share with our listeners, Stacy, beyond the resources which you just generally, which you just generously shared, for those who want to take concrete steps to move in the right direction? Are there, let's say, three to five steps or tips that you would share with them? You got it. I'll highlight some from the book. Every chapter has action steps after each chapter. The first is just sit down and figure out how you want to be perceived. You get some clarification on what you're willing to commit to. Number two, start getting meaningful feedback. Again, good, nice job doesn't cut it. Set and plan that feedback with whomever you trust is going to tell you the truth Ask for that feedback before the interaction, whether it's a meeting, phone conversation, or face-to-face. -face. Number three, 
start audio and video recording yourself weekly. Highly, highly recommend it. That maybe even should be number one, but I think first you have to be very clear on what you want to do. Also watch. Make sure you're watching that playback. And finally, number four is really set a monthly action plan together. What are you willing to do with your accountability partners? So I guess that's step four and five. Get two accountability partners in your life, in your personal life, your professional life, and sit down with them. Really be clear on here's how I would love your help and here's how often. Because if you're constantly getting feedback, that can turn negative. It gets to be a little bit too much. Those would be my first out-of-the-gate first five steps. Let's sort of flip it around a little bit for a second. What should you be looking for as the defining characteristics of an influencer who is effective, an effective influencer? What should you look for in yourself and in others? If you're looking to learn from others, what kinds of things should you look for? And if you're looking to yourself to become an influencer or to be a better influencer, again, what should these characteristics be? Yeah, the first one, number one, body language is consistent with messaging. That is top, top, top. That is key. The gestures have purpose. They have a very open posture. They command that room. Their voice communicates the passion or excitement or lack thereof, the importance of their key points. Brevity, someone who truly speaks by getting to the point and has pauses in their messaging. They're able to connect and engage. When you're watching someone who, in your eyes, you see them as trustworthy, credible, watch for those two. Watch how the message and the nonverbal behavior connect. Number two, watch the level of interaction. Someone who has influence doesn't just talk. They throw in stories, examples, analogies, and all of those relate to the audience. Number three, this individual who's influential, they don't just talk to talk. They're constantly asking open-ended questions. They're pulling their listeners into the conversation. There's a famous quote by motivational speaker Jim Rohn, who's no longer with us, and one of his quotes states that, with success follows clues. Really watch those individuals that you see as successful and copy it. Make it your own, but learn from it. Copy it. Now flip that. When you see someone who's not influential, more distracting, not effective, watch and listen to what they're doing and don't do it. We tend to do what we don't like other people doing, but we don't even realize we're doing it. Lately, there's been a tremendous amount of controversy in relation to gender in the workplace, gender discrimination, the roles of gender, how women are expected to behave differently from men in the workplace, how when somebody says something and they're a man, it is embraced immediately, but when a woman says the same thing, it is disregarded, and the list goes on. 
what are your impressions on this? Can you really sit and watch someone and emulate them regardless of gender and other personal issues? It's not that gender is the issue. It's the level of effectiveness of the person who's communicating. And I really believe we've fallen into this trap that states women are not heard at a meeting. I've watched plenty of female leaders who own it. They own it because they have brevity. They're very confident in their posture. They're confident in their voice. And they are just accepted in that meeting as men are. I can tell you from experience working with all female groups, a conversation that comes up frequently is exactly what you're bringing up. I'm not heard in a meeting. I get interrupted. And what I have found the trap that women tend to fall into more, more than men, I'm not saying men don't do this, it just seems to be heavy with females. We say too much. Women frequently say to me, well, I don't want to come across as aggressive. It's not about being aggressive. It's about being assertive. It, it's about being confident in what you're saying. Women tend to add a lot of filler phrases. What I meant to say was, I might be way off base here. Thank you so much for asking. All of these phrases, it starts to frustrate our listeners, both men and women. It'll frustrate your listeners because it's taking you too long to get to the point. The second one that I see that we fall traps of as female, soft-spoken. Our volume is softer sometimes than a man's voice in a meeting. I I just want our listeners to be very careful. Try not to get caught up in... I'm female, that's because that's the way I'm getting treated. I I, I tend to differ that because I see how I get treated, the same respect that the CEOs and the meetings I go into. It's focus on your communication. Focus on how people experience you, how you show up, and just own it. Walk in that room like you own it, and once you're in that conversation, you own the right You've got the confidence. You've got the credibility to make sure that people are interested and they want to take action on what you're recommending. What about when you have a situation, as was described recently, where you have someone who's very aggressive, who is physically intimidating the speaker by following her around and violating her personal space. This isn't imaginary. This isn't about owning your leadership role. This is about someone who is behaving as a bully. How do you address that situation and continue owning the message and continue owning the room? If it's something now where now it's it's not ethical, right? I mean, we're, we're talking child's play at this point. I will bring it up. I'll have a conversation with them to make sure it stops. And that's only, I mean, I've never had to do it. I've just never experienced that level of it. It might start there where I can tell, all right, this person is totally testing me. And I get that. You know, I I experienced that quite a bit for individuals that probably were told that they had to come to my session and they needed to work on their communication. I, I see it at first, but I don't get caught up in it. And I'm thinking, you know what, if they're here and they're all in, I am willing to take care of them and make sure this is worth their time. If they still don't respect that, and it really is getting to the point where your words bullying, we need to have a conversation because nothing, nothing is going to positively get accomplished when there's a bully mentality 
an aggressive mentality that is now part of the interaction. Do you do it publicly? I would not. I never wanted to play principal student. I probably would take a break. I'd take a quick break and just quickly have a conversation with that person. If it was something, too, where the, their behavior was disrupting the value that everyone else was getting in the room. And if they don't back down? If they wouldn't, then, again, I would take another break, and I would just say, I know this isn't right for you, and I totally get it. I totally don't want to waste your time. Again, I'm going to throw the benefit on them and just ask them, let's just have this offline. No need to waste any more of your time. I'm happy to chat later. Later. I want to just make sure that what you're getting out of this is what you need to get, and I can tell you're not. And my team has had to do that. My, my team has had to ask someone. It's never gotten to the point where the person actually had to leave. It was the initial conversation of just sitting them down and saying, hey, if this isn't right, that's okay. You don't have to be here. That's totally cool. If it's better for us to talk offline, that's great, too. And once we brought it to their attention that their behavior was unacceptable, they completely backed down and stopped it. I think a lot of times we don't know what we don't know. We may not mean to be a bully. We may not mean to be aggressive. Maybe there's other things happening in our personal life, our professional life, and we just happen to be letting it out and during that meeting or during that face-to-face conversation. That goes back to self-awareness and the power of self-awareness. And, of course, the exception and the really difficult situation is when you have a true bully who is aware of what he or she is doing and intended to do that all along. Correct. Yes. What do you do in that situation? Again, I just, I would, I would stop it. You know, I would just really come to realization of, you know, we're not, we're not playing games here. We're, we're both professionals. Let's just treat each other like professionals. I completely understand if you don't agree with where I'm coming from, and I'm okay with that. It's like you agree to really understand or misunderstand each other. If I just call it out, I call the elephant out in the room. Thank you, Stacy, for joining us from Chicago, Illinois. Thank you. I so appreciate the opportunity and the time. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Stacy Hunky, who is author of Influence Redefined. Be the leader you were meant to be, who discussed Influence Redefined. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.